welcome to episode 30 of Virtually Relevant. I'm Eric. This is Josh. This is Kevin. Hey, I'm William. And this has been a, uh, a busy month for announcements uh, in the VR world, but I think none has been as momentous as uh, one kind of close to home here. William, you've got a, a new member of the VR family. Yeah, so uh, new son. Little Palmer Abrash? <laughs> Not quite. Uh, <laughs> William Oliver, so named after, you know, family name kind of thing. But uh, yeah, uh, I think after about, he's he's like, five days old as of recording i figure i'll give him a couple weeks before i put him in the quest too and then you know that seems we'll see how it goes well, i <laughs> thought you were gonna have him recording the the podcast for you tonight <laughs> be a yeah, lot i mean of he really needs to, to and, be on here and, or snoring it might be an improvement we might get more listeners <laughs> i think that's fair Look, i'll just we'll make him the cover art <laughs> there you go new mascot all right so lots of new headset news uh yeah HTC had ViveCon, and they announced two new headsets, both enterprise-focused. Probably the most interesting one is the HTC Focus 3. Uh, it's a standalone uh, HMD. They're, they're launching it June 24th, $1,300, so not really aiming at the consumer market, but they are making a, a heavy play for the, uh, the business and enterprise use market. It is an impressive bit of kit. Uh, 2.5K per eye, which is higher than the Reverb G2, uh, 90 hertz by default. Yep. Uh, they're running an XR2 processor, but I, I'm thinking based on a lot of the hints that this may actually be running flat out as opposed to underclock the way the, the Quest 2 is. I mean, they're talking heat pipes and active cooling. You're probably going to need it to drive that kind of resolution. Yeah, that would make the most sense. They're aiming for... Uh, 8 gigs of RAM versus the Quest 2 6 gig versus the Quest 4 gig, so double what the original Quest had. Slightly wider field of view, quad cameras to, to mimic the Quest, the touch controller lookalikes. I mean, it is, <laughs> uh, it's working down the list, but I mean, it's enterprise focused. Uh, right. You've got swappable batteries Huge. Uh, that sit at the back of your head for balance. Uh, they're they're fast chargeable. 50% in 30 minutes, and they're going to sell multi-battery pack chargers. Hmm. Uh, the face facial interface is magnetically attached, disinfectable, so you can fast swap it in between users. Magnesium alloy frame for you know, rigidity and, and uh, strength. Also, I mean, they, they really did just in uh, a weight reduction as well. Right, really like high-end cameras magnesium. tend to use that. That's that's where you like you uh, when you make that big jump to the prosumer level on cameras. That's the kind of frame you usually get because costs a lot more, but it's uh, strong and lightweight. Unlike the Quest Two, it has a continuously adjustable IPD, and it's actually a slightly wider range than the original uh, Rift CV One, which is a range we haven't seen in a while. Hallelujah! Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, the only thing I'll ding it on a little bit is uh, the, the hand trackers are directly rechargeable, like the old Vive wands. Uh, I've actually grown to really like the Quest swappable batteries, because yeah. if you want rechargeable, throw some inner loops in there, keep two in the, the charger on the wall, and swap them out. You're good in 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. They've got big batteries. It's uh, 15 hours per charge, so as long as you charge them every night, you're solid. But uh, I, I don't really... Uh, yeah. I don't know. There have been any number of times we've done demos or what have you, and a, a tracker's been low, and somebody can just run to the corner store, get some alkalines, and be up and going in five minutes. Yep. You know, 
So it feels like a missed opportunity with the fact that they put a hot swappable setup in the headset and not doing yes. a hot swappable in the <laughs> well, handsets too. It's it's not quite hot swappable, and that I'm not uh, thrilled about. Because you can swap out the, the battery, but it does actually take it down. I really wish I had like a one-minute charge in the headset itself. Sorry, my macaw is really... He's just... Just chose <laughs> this moment to be really, really act, animated. Gotta, right yeah, no, you, you really want to be like a part of this conversation. <laughs> He's like, no, that's like bullcrap. The wands are fine. Yeah, don't no, don't I, criticize I, I, the wands. <laughs> that's right. But... Um, this animal has been paid for by HTC. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, I really wish that you were able to hot swap the batteries without taking down the headset, which you yeah. can't now. It probably, like the Quest 2's got a boot time well under a minute. So, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't go down that long, but it does seem like a missed opportunity to have like just a minute's worth of charge on board so you could pop one out and pop one in without going down. Yeah. No, and I agree. Like sticking with the old one style is is really... It's almost like the PSVR, you know, when they were like, oh, we're going to use this PlayStation Move controller that we developed, you know, seven years ago for the PS3 that, you know, we're going to we're going to pretend. Yeah, it's fine. It's good. No, it's it's clearly not. I mean, at this point, let's see. Vive launched in 2016. So we're five years down the cycle and they really haven't changed the wands much. So it's going to come with all that baggage of, you know, any kind of manufacturing known defects they've hopefully fixed but from a from a purely like use standpoint i do agree there's so many times that you're like setting up and go oh crap the ones are the ones are dead i got to right. in at least at least give him are they like usb c or are they still the old micro yeah so usb c okay at so. least that so you hopefully have like a quick charge but still yeah yeah i mean the the headset batteries are quick charge so i'm hoping the wands are too but um, I don't know, a, a slightly baffling choice. But I mean, ridiculously high resolution. So you should get like really sharp for reading text and labels on things. You know, tons of RAM, more processing power. It's it's a really, really high end standalone headset, which is frankly what business absolutely. I mean, the, for business, you know, the difference between 300 and 1300 is nothing for a headset, uh, especially if HTC is business friendly about it, which historically they have been. They've been very friendly to business uses. With the, the Facebook stuff, you gotta, you got to jump through a lot of hoops and you can't sell the hardware directly with your stuff bundled on it, which is a pain. Right. I mean, if you consider buying the, the Oculus for business, it's what the cheapest is $800, I think. So I mean, yes, it's, it's not that big of a with leap. that. Even with that, your customer has to buy the headset. You can't buy it for them. Yeah, I can't. Look, <laughs> I'm so happy about this, the Focus News, because I, I've i literally had conversations where a customer wants to focus on their, their software or product. They don't want to hire logistics teams. They don't want to do all the extra work. They want to have someone like my company uh, help them with it. And they're like, yeah, we're going to buy several thousand headsets, but we're only going to do Oculus. And I'm like... Well, good luck. Have a have a nice time. <laughs> yeah, I'm so ready to, I mean, it's... to to have a competitor. Yes, I mean, I'm I'm hoping to get a competitor in the consumer space, and maybe this will trickle down to that. But even if we're just getting competitors in the business space, I am thrilled beyond words to actually see it happening. And this yeah. one looks like a really solid one. Um, my the the my day job, my company will unquestionably pick up 
three or four of them right off the bat. And it may well be the, the platform we go with if it lives up to expectations. Uh, it does have some other competition, which we'll get into here in a bit. But as, as uh, enterprise-focused standalone headsets go, this one is screaming look, screaming good. So uh, we're going to look at it very closely. It has a close cousin, the, the Vive Pro 2, uh, which is sort of the, the tethered non-standalone equivalent. Uses the same screen, uh, running at 120 hertz max, but it's got the same lenses, the same continuously adjustable IPD, uh, but it's not inside-out tracking. It uses the Steam uh, VR 2.0 beacons, uh, base stations, which if you're working in a, a set environment where you're not going to, to need to move it and take it out somewhere to demo, it, it is more precise. It is better. But it's a pain to set up, and it's it's a, a huge pain if you're going anywhere with it. So, I mean, this is obviously a we're using this in the office or in the lab sort of thing. It is cheaper. It's, you know, $799 for the headset versus the $1,300 for the, the Focus. Although, that does not include the wands or the base stations. They kind of assume you have that already. And if you don't, you're going to have to buy them separately or wait for the bundle in August, which is, I think, $1,399. But... Very high. I mean, it's just basically the the Vive Pro Two with the the new lenses, the new screen, and the the new IPD adjustment, which isn't a bad thing. It's it's a nice headset. I liked the Pro. I was but. kind of hoping for a new iteration of the Steam tracking, to be honest. Just just because yeah. the, there are some limitations that I wish could be overcome. Um, it, it is definitely more precise and more. Uh, Let's let's say more reliable when it's set up correctly, like you said, Eric. Sure. You know, having it in the, in a, a static place, mounted to a wall, that's not gonna like, not on a tripod that's gonna get knocked at some point or something like that, um, with no reflective surfaces in the room, and you know, yes. you know there's, yeah. there's a lot it's, of nuance there, right? Yeah, it's it's a solution that is designed for. I am going to dedicate a space to this. Mm-hmm. Set it up once, and that's it. I'm not taking it out of the lab, and I am willing to make this space be nothing but a VR space, a holodeck. I wish I wish I was able to designate which base stations each computer listened for. You know, like I, I find myself in a lot of situations with several more than just the the four base stations that each headset can use, and sometimes they're they kind of clip in and out of of usability. And I also would love the option to utilize built-in uh, cameras for optical uh, tracking correction. Like, not all the time yes, tracking. like sensor fusion. Yes. Because, I mean, there are situations where you end up with occlusion. Yep. And, I mean, you just have, like, little dead spots. Uh, and it would be lovely to be able to to marry the two up. Right. And it's it's one of my biggest frustrations, actually, is that the hardware... Uh, in the Steam ecosystem actually is more versatile than the c- consumer-facing software allows it to be. I mean, yeah. for example, I think the maximum number of Vive trackers it, for a consumer is 16, but technically it's 64. They've done 64 in the lab. You know, so, and I, I get that there's a lot of probably like rough edges and limitations and so on, but they haven't really worked that hard at pushing those limits right right and and making them consumer facing which is really annoying because they they've got a technically they've got the the high end uh and they could be really 
maximizing that by pushing the limits on that and making those available so that people can really show off what it's possible yep. to do. And yet they're mostly choosing not to. I mean, because uh, you said like maximum of four base stations. They have demonstrated in the lab with way more than that, with like large, complicated, non, non-fully non contiguous spaces that they're still tracking across. Yeah. Uh, they are capable of it. They just making it production ready and consumer facing is enough work that they have chosen not to do that because I guess they feel the market isn't big enough. Well, I just, I've, I don't, I, I guess I personally have never seen any uh, test cases where they actively, they used active tracking data from more than four base stations in any given space. I've seen complex setups where each space in each hallway everywhere has four base okay, stations. That's fair. But yeah. having yes. having a fifth that's kind of like, you know, you stand too close to the doorway and there's a fifth off down the hallway because there's another bay kind of facing in, in the wrong direction slightly just because the geometry of the space you're working with. Like, I want to yeah. be able to say, ignore channel 16, never take any tracking data from channel 16 because that's the base station down the hall and that will just right. make you vomit comet. And in theory, you could do that because it actually encodes the ID of the base station on the beam right. as it, it sweeps across. So you know the ID of it. Yes, there's the reason for the four is because they slice, they offset the, the start times on the drums rotations by a quarter. Right. So, so that, you have a maximum, um, just a maximum split of four. Right. So you're guaranteed, if you do only up to four, you're guaranteed that you will only get one signal at a time. Unless there's across a nearby four base time station. slices, right? If you have, you know, you can have up to four. They'll they'll talk to each other. They'll pick out the the four different time slices. But as you say, if you get one that's in a completely separate space, and if if you arrange your base stations right, so that at no point will you see base station one and base station five at the same time, in theory, you should be able to do that just fine. Right. And I think that's kind of how they've played that game, but. That's, I think, more complex than they wanted to deal with with a potential consumer. Well, it's that, and then it's also, at what point do you hit that point of diminishing return, right? Because right. It, at some point, it just makes more sense, if you're talking about a vast setup with multiple, multiple trackers at the same time, at, at some point, it just makes the most sense to say, okay, screw the outside trackers look at inside out is that going to be suitable for this this situation or is that going to be more suitable for this situation um right. and like like you mentioned sensor fusion there are situations like the void where the you know they can set up they're using multiple different sensor uh sensor inputs to dictate yeah. where are you at in 3d space in the given play area where are you at relative to the world for your tracking lots of lots of different things so it just becomes, is it beneficial to continue down that pathway and say, okay, well, we can have up to 16 trackers and do it this way. Or is it, right. is, is, do, at what point do they basically stop and go, well, you know what? Inside out tracking is really the solution to this and there's no point in get, going down that pathway. Um, but I agree from, from a technical standpoint, sorry, uh, from a technical standpoint, Josh makes a good point is, you know, if you're setting up an arcade style set, you know, setup where you have multiple headsets in a, not necessarily the same physical space, but still in, in close proximity to each other, you know, it would be nice to be able to go in and say, ignore X, Y, Z, 
uh, if yes. you're already encoding the ID, it would be nice to just be able to go in and configure and say, okay, set it up. Here's your four IDs. These are the only four IDs you should pay attention to. And if it's any other ID, right. don't worry about it. It's interference. But they haven't uh, yeah, done yeah. it. Yeah, and I mean, that would especially make sense in um, like conference right. settings yes. where you're going to have like multiple booths that are near right. each other that might pick up interference from each other. Yeah, um, you just tag the... I had high hopes that that would be... Yes, just only listen to these IDs. I mean, they could get there, I suspect, if they focused, but uh, yeah, focus. Um, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if they... I mean, the, the problem is you've got, you know, Valve that's driving the standards, but then you have... All the vendors. You know, other parties like HTC that are, are producing hardware for it. So it, it becomes complicated, which I grant. Yeah. Either way, um, how are people feeling about having enterprise specific standalone headsets in there is that is that something that people feel like has a sufficient future to to make this profitable or because i mean clearly consumers doing well i mean the quest 2 is selling insane amounts they've sold more quest 2s than all of the headsets prior to it combined and in a very short period of time does enterprise make sense at this point is this a niche market or is this an actual profit driver for companies i think for the I think for the most part, they're they're probably doing it right now because world supply on electronics is so short. So most likely they can't really get to full on consumer uh, production numbers. So I, I, I think they're just kind of playing it a little safe right now and going with the slightly higher end, higher priced. That's kinda, an interesting angle thing right now. Well, I mean, HTC I has pretty the, much all but abandoned the consumer market. You know, ever since the Vive Focus, let's say, or uh, no, what was the other one they came out with? The Cosmos? HTC Cosmos? Oh, God. Is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Ever since yes. that debacle, they've <laughs> they've all but abandoned the consumer market entirely. So they're, they're, you know, with the Pro, the Pro 2, the Pro i, you know, the even... Even the Vive Focus Three, or the, sorry, the HTC Focus Three, it's enterprise focused. Like they've all but yeah. abandoned the consumer market altogether, and and well, for good reason in some instances. Because if you've if you've seen a VR installation or a VR uh, arcade setup or anything like that, at, like Dave and Buster's or the like, it's all Vive. That's right. that's yep. what everyone yes. is using, because. They're the ones who are embracing that that side of things, and they're focusing right. uh-huh, on that <laughs> that aspect of it, um, whereas Oculus is being left in, behind. But again, you know, to that same notion, Facebook and Oculus and Mark Zuckerberg do not care about enterprise right now. That is that is not their goal. They never have. No, I mean, to the limited extent that they're supporting Oculus for business, I mean, it is worlds better than it was a couple of years ago. Uh, it's half-hearted at best. Yeah. Um, which they're not shy about what their oppor- goal is. <laughs> yes, they are. They're very clear about their goals, and that's and that's fine, I guess. Uh, and that that does open up a space for companies like HTC to aggressively pursue that. Uh, and and my hope, obviously, is they get the kinks worked out at an enterprise level, and then maybe they can work their way down to the the uh, the consumer space compete um now an interesting contender on that front 
although not very uh, um, consciously not competing on that front at the moment in the U.S., is Pico. Pico is a powerhouse in China, notably China, where Oculus is not allowed to sell its hardware directly. Uh, the Pico Neo 2 was a device I spent some quality time with trying to port things from the Quest, and it had a beautiful screen and some terrible hand trackers <laughs> and some terrible inside-out tracking. And at the time, I said, you know, I really wish I could just get this same headset, but with proper optically tracked hand trackers and four cameras instead of two and a, a better head strap, you know, and really that's all I need. And the Pro 3, the, the Neo 3 is exactly that. It's it's not a generational jump. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing calling it a three. It's sort of the, the two, but better, mm-hmm. the, the two fixed. <laughs> um, they, they took the, I mean, the old hand trackers were these chunky rods these heavy chunky rods that uh were magnetic trackers and there are advantages to that there's no occlusion you can like stick it behind your kneecap and it will still track it but there's a lot of drift and the accuracy is not that fantastic i didn't love it and the form factor was terrible they've ditched that form factor they've gone for a total touch lookalike that is optically tracked. They've switched from two cameras to four, laid out exactly like the Quest. And it's more or less exactly what I want out of a a Neo 3, at least until we get a significantly faster processor on the market. A notable thing about it is that they have actually added a DisplayPort PC link to it, which in theory could be way better than the USB-based link that we've been seeing for the Quest and the Quest 2, where it was shoehorned in after the fact. The idea of Link was not there when, I mean, they voted against it internally when they released it, and they've had to sort of backfit it into USB. This is like a legit DisplayPort Link using NVIDIA Direct Mode, which in theory should give you a a native-like performance rather than a Link-like performance. In the U.S., they are only targeting enterprise, and they're pricing it appropriately. Uh, This is the Pro line. It's uh, $699 for the standard model, the the standard Pro model, Mm -hmm. and uh, $899 if you have the Tobii eye tracking built in. Notably, the same hardware without the eye tracking varies between $390 and $470, depending on storage in China. And in China, they they have commissioned ports from... Pretty much everybody that's not owned by Facebook. So their software library is actually stunningly good in China. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's where they're aiming for the consumers. So, I mean, I have some hope down the line and maybe a year or two that maybe it could be a real competitor in the U.S. market. But at the moment, last time I checked, they literally had one person in the U.S. that was their U.S. rap. So... Uh, they're they're going to have to shift focus heavily if they're going to compete on the consumer level against Facebook. But the hardware looks capable, and they they clearly are... I mean, it was not bad to port to them from the Quest, and I suspect it's probably even better now. So they they may well have uh, a good library of software at some point, say, I don't know, next year. Mm-hmm. To, to release a consumer-facing headset, which would be a very exciting development. Right. You know, the reason why businesses, at least, are still going to keep buying uh, HTC's products 
I mean, there are people today still buying the the old Focus, right? Right. Um, is is I, f- I find really because of the support structure, HTC has been in in the business of supporting business um, a lot longer yes. than uh, Oculus has, and has really wanted to to focus on that. And Pico, while it's a compelling piece of hardware, like you said, Eric. Um, their their lack of uh, local teams, you know, people that yes. that are going to work with and and kind of hold the hands of some of these businesses that are legitimately looking for some assistance because these are people that are looking to buy, you know, let's let's say minimum five hundred units, you know, some of them yeah. ten twenty thousand units, right? So there's sure there's a lot that goes into the logistics and and the support structure behind that kind of an implementation. And if the the company isn't ready to offer that support to these these customers, then it's just not going to happen. They're going to go with what right. is tried and tested. I, I I played with the the Pico Neo I two at the um, Industrial VRAR forum, which happened like just before COVID hit, and we said yes, we want to try this, and it took a fair bit of effort to actually get one. And we finally got one. Most of the documentation was clearly translated from the Chinese, um, which, I mean, it was okay. We managed. We managed okay. But, I mean, it, it didn't feel like we had a strong support structure in the U.S. And that, that did factor into our thinking. But in the end, it was the, the, the tracking quality for the headset and for the hand trackers that, that sank it for us. They were very business friendly. They said, you can... You know, silkscreen your your branding onto the headsets. You can preload them with your software. You can ship them out as yours. So I mean, they were very um, with minimum. MOQs. There's there's minimum order quantities for all those. Yes, options. there were minimum order. Yes, yes, yes. There were minimum order quantities for preloading your software or for silkscreening stuff. They would do that for you actually yep. at certain quantities. But even if like you shipped it to yourself and did it yourself, they weren't going to stop you. So right. now HTC. At a time when Oculus wouldn't give us the time of day on the business front, HTC gave us meetings and met with us in their offices in San Francisco, and they were extremely positive about business uses and were trying to actively encourage business uses, whereas Oculus really, they were fairly open about the fact this is not our core business focus, and I mean, to the extent that we're doing this, we feel like we're doing you a favor. <laughs> right. Well, and so, things, things are changing on the Facebook yeah. front. I will I will give them that they are not st- stuck in their ways, but um they've definitely not been the biggest friend. <laughs> Historically no, and they don't look it, they have been dragged there largely kicking and screaming. And the only reason they've been dragged there is because they were kind of the only game in town for a good standalone. I love HTC, but the original Focus was not a good piece of hardware. <laughs> I mean, it, it had some serious shortcomings. We tested it and said, mm, no, not doing that. <laughs> uh, the, the processor was underpowered. The tracking was iffy. So if the, the Focus 3 delivers on its promise, it will be an absolute force to be contended with in the business world. And I think uh, Oculus's short-sightedness, Facebook's short-sightedness on that front will eventually bite them because they're giving people an opportunity to get very heavily established in that market. Mm -hmm. So we will have to see. But either way, I am incredibly thrilled to see two very solid competitors 
for standalone VR hardware, admittedly on the business front, which I'm I'm happy about, but wish extended to consumer. So happy about. Uh, I think this, I think people are still going to buy the the HD the Focus Three. I think uh, businesses will, consumers won't. Well, well, you, yeah. you think there will be people that are hardcore? Very, consumers very few. Won't. I mean. A few, a handful, not enough Pros, to make a difference. Prosumers, yeah, like Pros- your, yeah, yeah, yeah. your hardcore VR enthusiasts will, but the average person, no. Like, if it's not in Target or Best Buy, they're not going to touch it. Like, so let's be honest. The, the people the thing that is, were the thing that were... has done so well for Oculus has been the fact that you can go into Best Buy, and like I saw the Quest Two at Target today. Like, and that's a yeah. that's a newer one. Like, you can buy it anywhere. You can walk in anywhere and get it. Is yeah, huge. And that's what's going to push right. consumer purchasing. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I do want to say that, you know, we we uh, go back and forth about all this because we eat, sleep, and breathe all this tech, right? <laughs> yes. Please understand, these are all great advancements in the hardware. We're oh, yeah, very enthusiastic sure. about Oh, it. yeah. <laughs> Without question. No, I mean, you know... to. We we criticize because we care. I mean, these are these are what we want. We want competitors oh, yeah. that are driving the state of the art forward. Because right now, if you left Facebook alone, it would be a race to the bottom on driving down the price and just getting into as many hands as possible. Which, from their point of view, makes sense. But from the point of view of people who want to see VR get better, uh, it, it it's not really driving things. Now, Facebook has said that they are talking about a uh, a Quest Pro that that has eye tracking, face tracking, higher resolution, things like that. Uh, they they won't commit to any time frame on that and so forth. And that that may well be a, a really solid piece of hardware. Uh, and and Lord knows I'd buy it. <laughs> but we we need more than one player in this market. Yeah. Uh, we we need people to have a a choice because right now when you buy into a quest you're buying into an entire ecosystem and you're very much locked in uh if if there are multiple viable headsets out there that changes the whole landscape yep speaking of multiple viable headsets yes the the consumer landscape is not all dead and there are other 900 pound gorillas and the other 900 pound gorilla in the consumer vr world is sony Dun, dun, dun. So, yeah, the PlayStation VR 2, which is the worst kept secret in the known universe. Which, by the way, just jumping in, come on, Xbox, like, <laughs> get it together. <laughs> like, it's, it's but, been how but long But nobody now? wants VR on Xbox, Will. Right, but <laughs> supposedly, but you know how many, quote, you quote. know how many people would lunge at an Xbox compatible VR headset? Like, it's insane the the, the just the people how that were you getting their CV ones, yeah, right? The, the people that were getting their CV ones and connecting them up to their Xbox right. ones, right? Like, and uh, finding out that it actually displayed out. It's just they used it as two <laughs> two separate displays, or yeah, like two extended just, displays. Just it's crazy. I, I mean, come on, Xbox, PS, PlayStation is going to have like three headsets out before they have something that works. And it, it is a little baffling that Microsoft went the whole like Microsoft mixed yeah. reality Windows nonsense, MR. and we were coming out there on headsets, and we're going to compete in this space, but then didn't on the one platform where they really probably could have gotten some traction. Well, it doesn't help that they put out headsets that really didn't 
really didn't wow oh the headsets were terrible <laughs> <laughs> i mean they were they were just barely adequate uh which isn't really where you want to be in vr you want to be solid yeah so but or we... they're, they're getting better yeah are they is is there a new one out that's good the HP headset is, is I think, the <laughs> one right, that we're talking that's about. technically... Which is... Okay, it's okay. okay. We're talking about the, the G2. Yeah, the G2 has fantastic resolution, although it's about to get beat. But the thing that hurts uh, it the most is the fact that it's a Windows MR headset. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And the hand trackers have never well, been great in that again, entire line. Windows MR. I know. So Anyways, so um, yeah, PlayStation VR. So PlayStation VR 2. PlayStation, they, well, they are going high-end, supposedly. Uh, all of the indications are. I mean, you never know till they ship. They they might change their mind, but they're they're talking about like two K by two K per eye, which is better than the Quest Two, although not quite as good as some of these other ones that are coming out. Uh, eye tracking, which is cap uh, at a level that is capable of foveated rendering. If that happens and it is effective, that could be a total game changer. Uh, so far, you see eye tracking that's mostly for. Direction. Focus tracking and things like that. Some social the, stuff. The level of, yeah, social stuff is absolutely useful. Uh, but at the the speed and accuracy that you need to do foveated rendering, if they actually get that down, that is a force multiplier that will change the game. Um, head-mounted haptics, which is a first. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody has really tried head-mounted haptics in the VR world. There's third party. I don't know what to think right. of that. Third party, yeah. Not first party. Um, so. I mean, I'm intrigued. I, I'd like to see it. Uh, inside out tracking, which is worlds, worlds better than the, oh, thank God. You know, the, the old system that the, the PlayStation VR had. Uh, an adjustable IPD, thank you, uh, using a USB-C tether. Nice. Uh, and they're going like high end on the, uh, the hand trackers. They're using like the, the dual sense adaptive triggers. So you can do some really fine grained haptics and feedback, mm-hmm. which is notably the exact opposite direction the Oculus has been going. The original CV1 touch controllers had the best haptics of anything they've ever released, and they have dumbed them down every generation to get the price down and get the weight down and get the the cost down. So I'm excited that they're going high-end with uh, the, the PlayStation VR 2's hand trackers. So there's some finger touch tracking. We don't know the details. Probably some capacitative touch sensing on the, the buttons, kind of like the, the touch. We don't know when it's coming out, other than it ain't this year. Would Would you pay an extra hundred dollars for like CV one type haptics in uh, Quest controllers, like Quest Pro controllers or something? I mean, it's it's a chicken or the egg problem. I mean, I would if stuff actually supported it, but nobody's going to yeah. support it unless there's unless there's enough people with one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's... I mean, I wouldn't pay a hundred dollars for it if no one produced software that took advantage of it. Right. It's also like the PSVR two. They're talking about eye tracking. You know. Okay, if they get the foveated rendering thing going, yes. But otherwise, it's going to be like the Vive Pro I. Like, I saw a discussion the other day about somebody was like, oh, should I upgrade my Vive Pro I for a Vive Pro 2? And they were like, I mean, what are you doing with the eye tracking right now? And he's like, I would be using it for more if anything supported it. And virtually nothing does. And it's going to be the same problem with PSVR. PlayStation has a bad track record of this. And most, most... hardware manufacturers that are also consoles like nintendo and things like that have a bad habit of this they'll implement a feature into their hardware and it'll get used by maybe six games and then it disappears into obscurity case in point um the 
motion sensing capabilities of the DualSense 4 controller for the PlayStation 4. It has uh, tilt and rotation and all these other things sensors, and almost no game whatsoever uses it, to the point where if it's a game that does use it, you don't even realize that it's a thing. Um, There's a game called (laughs) Until Dawn uh, that came out early-ish days of the PS4, and it had a feature in it where like, you had to hold the controller really still during this particular part of the game. And I didn't even know it was a thing. Like I was playing the game and I failed this little like quick action event, quick time event multiple times because I didn't realize it was tracking the controller because no other game that I had played to that date had ever <laughs> used this feature of the controller. And likewise, I've owned the PS4 now for whatever since launch and no other game has used that feature so it's they run a they run a a risk here of you know they're putting eye tracking in and if they do use it for foveated rendering then by all means it was worth every every penny of it but if including eye tracking is like a selling feature and then nothing uses it or more likely five games use it what was the point in the first place well, we're gonna have to see what the support is. I mean, it's interesting for by it's it's tricky using the metrics because I mean, all right, the the Gear VR and and some of the like phone based headsets technically outsold the consumer stuff, but the um, what do they call that metric where people continue using it um, oh. over time? I don't remember the word. Yeah, that one. It. Yeah, that one. Whether or not they Which keep one? using it, he said, yeah, that yeah. One. <laughs> Okay, um, that that was not good because the the experience wasn't that great. Whereas like the quest, people really stuck with it and they kept using it uh, over time. Um, the the PlayStation VR, if you ignore the the these high selling but low utilization mobiles, uh, was for a while really the dominant one. Uh, I mean, they had I think what they say five million that they they shipped, uh, which is a, a pretty impressive number in the VR world. Now the Quest Two probably has blasted past that um which is amazing given how briefly it's been out but sony's ecosystem is big enough that they potentially could you know put in tens of millions and so that's a big enough market to to really drive you know the effort it takes to support some of these high-end features and I hope it happens. I mean, it's it's a sounds like a really nice piece of hardware and I may well pick up a PlayStation 5 just to play the 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 psvr2 exclusives but um i mean it's not standalone it's it's tethered which i mean is fine i mean consoles are for the most part with the exception of the switch but um i don't know it's its own little sort of niche thing it will probably sell quite well assuming they price it right i I look at the eye tracking as a as an absolute win because it i think eric you said earlier is a chicken or the egg problem um sure if the hardware exists then you at least have one part of the equation. So right. if you're someone can do that, something. If, I mean, that's the thing. It's like if you're guaranteed that every PlayStation VR 2 user has it, then you can rely on it. You can put in the effort to make features that, you know, make use of it. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll, um, obviously, I want all these cool high-end features, and I want them to be utilized well enough that it becomes obvious to hardware manufacturers that it's worth the investment to, to push it down into the mainstream. You know, I, I would like the the Quest Pro 
and then I would like those Quest Pro features to leak down into the Quest. That's that's kind of the hope. Is you have the eye tracking, the face tracking, the high res screens, that hopefully uh, variable focal depth, things like that. Um, and and you know you get the enthusiasts like us that are crazy enough to pay a thousand bucks for it, and then you know two years later it it becomes mainstream. We hope. What if and what if Sony decides to you know, in a quote unquote responsible way, anonymize your eye tracking data for you know third party partners and marketing resources and Ooh, things that like that becomes complicated it could be the most widespread eye tracked data mining tool out there i have such complicated opinions about biometric data privacy balanced against a technological advancement and and that's a Maybe that's a whole show we do at some point. We've we've talked about it in the past, but the state of the art has advanced since then. So, c- complicated feelings. <laughs> yeah, the uh, ethics in XR is a, is a big conversation. It is, it is, and I mean, only because XR is so intimate. You get this this hardware strapped to your face that can be doing things like reading your your blood pressure and your your galvanic skin response, your pupil dilation. They can know stunning amounts of things about you which can be used for phenomenal uses or very insidious uses or both probably both <laughs> yeah. so More probably mostly both. probably mostly mundane but yeah. definitely the whole spectrum will will exist because humans are uh, nefarious for doing things like that right yeah all right, uh, a little bit of other quick, hardware stuff. Oh, go ahead. Uh, has has Sony confirmed that it's going to be a tether? With, yes. Okay. Okay. Yes, they did. It's a USB C. So tether. no wireless. They didn't say that. Be- oh, okay. But because they did was, say it was tethered. Yeah, I was. So I mention, mean, they have one of their old patents specifically shows a wireless headset. Right. At at the very least, they have they have said that the tether will be USC USB C. Um, I, I would not be shocked if they offered an adapter to go wireless, but it sounds like the base model will be tethered, wired. All right. So we'll have to see. Looping back into the Steam VR ecosystem, uh, the Steam VR ecosystem is at the moment where you want to be if you're doing body tracking. Because the as cumbersome as they are, the, the, the tracking pucks are probably the, the gold standard for that. Um, unless you go completely bespoke all the way through. Um, Vive announced the, uh, the, their tracker 3.0, notably a few days after Tundra launched a Kickstarter for smaller, lighter, cheaper tracking pucks. Mm-hmm. Yay. Uh, and they did very well with it. I mean, they, they cleared over a million... And, uh, I mean, these are some some significantly smaller things. I mean, the, the Vive Tracker 3.0 was, I think it was like a third lighter than the 2.0, and it had 75% more battery life, which was like seven hours. Um, and yet, this, this independent, which, I don't know, we'll see if they deliver or not, theirs are a quarter of the weight of the, the new Tracker 3.0s uh, with the same battery life. I mean, these are some tiny trackers that are significantly less obtrusive than the the bulky uh vive trackers and they are very much aimed for being used in quantity they they sell dongles that will talk to up to seven at a a pass is there a dongle limit 
I don't know. Uh, probably, I would suspect yeah, so. I mean, even if something. you're just talking about, you know, you know, EF Spectrum, <laughs> at some point you're going to get crowded. Uh, and that's that's something that uh, Vive has said before. I mean, they, in theory, they support up to 64 trackers, but they only are supporting 16 at a consumer level because of concerns about uh, crowding. Yeah. So. Yeah, until you can set them on separate channels or something like that. Like right. Being able to set up, like, most people don't, don't ever see it but wi-fi has multiple channels that you can sub you know sub right uh, subset into and so until they get something like that i could definitely see there being a an, a crowding issue for the spectrum of come on come on let's let's go a little sci-fi right like you know what quantum co-location right. data transfer <laughs> there you go there you go like instantaneous data transfer right. when they talk about that, they can do once we get a uh, once we get direct direct uh, neural interface Let's just, right. just plug yes. in. Yes, let's, let's get there. Let's get there. But I mean, they talk about being able to do 64 in the lab. This is a lab that's inside of like a, you know, a Faraday cage where they're not getting any interference from outside. If I mean, when I fire up my, you know, the Wi-Fi on my PC, I see like 40 different Wi-Fi networks. And yeah. that means all of those are coming into my house. Wait, so you, you didn't build a Faraday cage around your office? Like, isn't that I, a I normal thing that normal and... people do? There's regret now. I wish I had. So, um, it's a Faraday cage PC case. Yes, there you go. Well, I mean, you gotta you gotta have the Wi-Fi uh, router inside of it. Otherwise, what's the point? Right. So uh, they're they're selling a tracker. Well, I mean, they have like early bird specials, but those are long right. gone. Um, you can get a tracker plus that's up to I think seven units plus a dongle. Oh, sorry, a dongle that's up to seven units plus a tracker for 130 bucks. Then 89 dollars for each additional tracker. Um, the, the 3.0 tracker directly from Vive is 130 bucks. So they're very competitively priced. They're smaller, they're lighter. They have equivalent battery life to the latest state of the art. So, I mean, if they actually deliver what they promise, they're delivering a superior product. Is anyone getting one? I, I would love to compare I, it to I the new Mimos. Shockingly, given the, my historical track record <laughs> with backing VR hardware Kickstarters, I did not back it. What? But that's because I mostly don't use the the Steam VR tracking yeah. system. So wait, so I get it. So if if Eric doesn't back the Kickstarter, it ships. I think that's probably true. <laughs> historically, yeah, it'll speaking. get here. The problem is, like you said, Eric. I mean, what uses it? Last I remember, right. I mean, outside of niche applications, there were like five games that supported the the trackers. It's if you do a lot of social VR, yeah, I mean, like VR Chat is one of those five. VR but that's Chat the, supports it. That's the problem. Yeah, the other ones are like Tornuffalo and yeah, Soccer <laughs> Champ twenty twenty. You know. But look, Will, you you have to admit, there's going to be a not insignificant amount of population of VR users. That will want, use one hundred percent of their time in VR in social chat, and that's it. Like they Absolutely. will spend all of their VR time in a VR chat scenario. So I think that alone in itself makes it a a pretty somebody substantial. Will use okay, absolutely. Okay, somebody but will use. does that does that same logic apply when you have things like the NES mouse that was used for for the Mario Paint? <laughs> Like, that's what we're talking about here is like, you have a peripheral that has such a limited support range for content, it it becomes so niche. Like, I agree, there is a non 
trivial amount of the the VR user base that exclusively uses it for things like VR chat and uh, sure. you know things like that. Absolutely, VR chat is like one of the biggest things for for social VR right now, and will continue to be until something comes and says, "Hey, like this is better." But they're pretty good about keeping on top of things. But that's the other thing is they're good about if something comes out, they make it. You know, they're they're quick to make sure that it's supported. But yeah, they are the shining example that is the <laughs> the exception, not the rule. So right. I mean, $130 for a tracker and a dongle plus $89 for an additional trackers puts you at a, uh, let's see, $190, so $220 to just get two trackers up. Um, with the exception of a certain industry, which has a has a track <laughs> record of, uh, let's call it boosting technology's viability, uh, just Google VHS versus I have no Betamax. idea what you're talking about, Will. Just, uh, just Google yeah. VHS versus Betamax or HD DVD yeah. versus Blu-ray, and you'll Blu-ray. find out what I'm talking yes. about. Um, <laughs> the you know, outside of that, I don't know what's going to utilize this. Now, I can definitely see inside of yeah. that industry trackers being oh, used yeah. for things, <laughs> but it, but outside of it, I don't. He's talking well, I mean, not about porn trackers yet. I, I would, yes, no, the word I have no idea porn. what you're talking about. Uh, the <laughs> uh, I, I would love to use it for motion capture. Yeah. For, you know, creating animations, things like that. I mean, there's absolutely uses and there's uses that can justify even dropping five, six, seven hundred dollars, but it's niche. I mean, as long as you have to st- strap trackers to your body, you're not gonna get mainstream uptake. It's yeah. just it's just not gonna happen. Unless it you're, gets you're gonna have to figure out a way. Unless it so. gets integrated at such a granular level with the platform. Like, uh, for instance, if your avatar that is transplanted and put in used for every game, right, um, sure, is running on, like, the back-end software that's doing all of, like, your facial tracking and gesturing and things like that, until that stuff, until we have, like, a base layer where all of that stuff is being done on the, on the, uh, the runtime level, you know, right. all of that's being handled by the runtime. And then translate it into the game. Yeah. I don't. I just don't see it taken off. And that that could happen. I mean, Oculus yeah. has its own avatar layer. Ideally, you need something that's not brand specific, right? Um, but yes, it could happen, and it it might happen. But like, it'd be you have to have a really compelling use case. I'm I'm still a believer in trying to find some way to do it all optically. Yeah. As opposed to, to strapping trackers all over your body and having oh, I base fully stations. Agree. But I mean but, if we're already doing like facial and uh and op- optical tra- like eye tracking in, in the headset. Suddenly it becomes it does become more compelling. If if you are tracking someone's facial expressions but we're we're not tracking their body, suddenly it may be worth putting on a couple of like wristbands and ankle bands right. to to get that. Um and if you But I mean the use case has to be there. And if you pull that information into whatever you're doing, like let's say VR right. like VR chat is a great example, right? You can customize your avatar, you can do a lot of things. It's very Oasis esque from Ready Player One. Yes. However, um, you know, maybe you don't want to go through all that time. Maybe you spent the time in Oculus's uh character creator avatar creator whatever right. and you're like hey i like my avatar here i just want to use that being able to just say hey use my oculus avatar in vr chat and boom now you're in there 
you don't have to go through all the character yes. setup and all that. But, that would be huge. And if all you of those did features, it once and it worked across everything. And all of those features translate, like your eye tracking, your facial yeah. tracking, all of those things translate into the target app. You know, I think the the major players, the major players get yeah the potential there for for social it's uses. The execution. It's yeah. It's just execution's hard. This is, I think, the I believe it's the fifth iteration of Oculus avatars, and they oh they still have issues. So, and they're also locked entirely to their ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's hard. It's a hard thing to do well, but I think it's one of those things where the moment somebody gets it right. It will it'll change the game. So, I mean, yeah. so for these, uh, there's a couple things. One, I'm I think just I'm just a hardware nerd, and I I love oh yeah in, in any niche product that it, it exists at, at any degree to make it possible for people to create software solutions for it. Like right, I I love that it's being an iterative process. That there are generations of these devices out now that do different things. Like Manus with hot swappable, like they're all these different like flavors, right? To to just give the market an opportunity to to run with it, see what happens, kind of throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks, right? Um, right. And also, I, I think there's a, a a larger conversation about full body tracking, uh, sense of presence, um, embodiment in an experience. Like we we know through data research and studies and all this stuff that's been done around this, that the more you are embodied in an experience, the more uh, attuned you are to it, the the less uh, cognitive dissonance that you'll have. There's all these reasons, right? Why you want somebody to embody an experience more fully. And so I feel like that's kind of where the, the hardware market is trying to push the potential and the, the options. But I absolutely agree, Will, more software needs to adopt it. More people need to devote um, some level of resources, even just to the basic, mo- most basic implementation of the hardware, just to say it's there, right? Right. Um, but I think when when the the platforms like VRChat and Rec Room that are seeing a lot of success lately, um, and and other games that have some kind of social aspect to them, as they start to really kind of understand the the data architecture of all of this of all this extra data and what you do with it and how you build for it and how you prepare your games and experiences for it that it becomes more streamlined more optimized and more agreed upon that it's going to be kind of universally handled in some of these specific ways which will and then I in hope. turn make everything else easier to implement making it less resource intensive for developers to actually implement Right. And then yeah. look, like 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 you said, I I'm also a hardware nerd. I love that these <laughs> things exist. I have just been around since, you know, the days of oh my god, this is the 400th peripheral that they came out with for the Nintendo, which right. will fade into obscurity and never exist again or you know, never never be used for anything else. Back and off I, my Game I, Boy printer. Right. Dude, I still Back have a off. Game Boy camera. Don't play with me. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I just I'm one. I really don't want a lot of these things to fade into obscurity. Which, let's be honest, some of them are going to and will have to. That's the way of the the way of the world. But in the you know in the last thirty years, we've seen so much unique, interesting technology 
come and go because lack of support. And until we come up with some sort of abstraction layer for this stuff, we're just not going to see universal support, right? Like there needs to be some sort of, and I've, I've said this before on, on, on the show that like there needs to be some sort of abstraction layer or input layer that takes all of these inputs, regardless of the make model version, whatever you want to call it, that says, this is a tracker. Here's what trackers can do. And we can iterate on that and we can expand on that. But at the very base level, but all of the platforms should have the support for X, Y, Z inputs, you know, you know, whatever they may be, these are trackers, these are, you know, these are controls, these are this, and those things should map one-to-one so that you can use, like, the biggest selling thing for the Knuckles controllers was the fact that you could map it to be, to be used in place of the wands. Um, Sure. And that, or the, what are they, the index controllers now? Um, But yeah, Yeah. the fact that you could use them in place of the wands, and in some instances made it better, but you could also use it for, you know, extended functionality in other games. So right. I'm 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 a hardware person. I just I hate seeing stuff like this that look is really good and and you know is great for us, but it doesn't move the needle, and that's the problem. Yeah. No. So I'm definitely in the the hardware nerd camp also, and I want these things to succeed. But I it's it's challenging. We all are. Really, what you right. want is all of them to get together in a consortium and agree on. Uh, a universal standard and this 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 is just your elbow position and your wrist position and your knee and your ankle and we don't care how it got there so now anybody can build right. hardware that feeds into that but there, nobody's right. that, that also highly motivated useful. to do that <laughs> right and but then that also comes into use and this is a rabbit hole we don't have to go down but just that just brought it up like there are accessibility concerns to where people sure. who have various reasons they can't do this or that like having that layer of abstraction that layer of that input layer allows you to do things like what Xbox did with their, um, their accessibility controller program, right? So like you design inputs that are specifically created for people who are differently abled, who can, okay, I'm not going to be able to sit and stand and run around. So instead I'm going to figure out a way to do X, Y, Z and translate that into running around or bending or jumping or this or that. And so, Mm -hmm it has so many uses and it's one of those things where I'm like, man, I really wish they would just get it together and go, okay, we need to step in and take this and push it to the right direction. But enough about hardware. Yes. There were some updates on Oculus, right? <laughs> there, there have been. Yeah, that was, a, it was a hardware heavy month. It really was. But uh, yeah. Oculus has been, I will give Oculus and Facebook this. They have been amazing about pushing out a steady drumbeat of software updates that make their hardware better right. over time really pushing it to the limits and beyond the limits of what it was designed for. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And they're, they're not shy about pushing out experimental features. So the, the version 28 and version 29 firmware that they pushed out to the Quest, uh, the, the 28 should be out everywhere at this point. It's got 120 hertz support. Um, only maybe, I guess, five games support it uh, and the, the Oculus Home environment because that... <laughs> That's really demanding to hit that frame yeah. rate. So you got to have a really basic a lot of optimization experience. Though. Yeah, you got to do a lot of optimization to hit 120 frames a second. And unfortunately, it's only a, a subset of consumers that can even see the difference. There are plenty yeah. of people who can see the difference between 60 and 72 or 72 and 90. Going from 90 to 120, okay, maybe, I don't know, a third of people can tell the difference. 
and they love it, but two-thirds of people can't even see the difference. So um, I'm excited that they're adding support for it. It's technically beyond the spec for the panels. Um, Carmack talked about it, one of the connects. He said that 90 was the, the max spec for the panel. They could push to 120, but in some circumstances you get ghosting, especially if the panel was cold, like you'd left it in the trunk of your car for a while and it was cold outside. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm hyped that they're adding support for it for games that are you know capable of supporting it. Um, they, they also enabled uh, experimental keyboard tracking for one keyboard, the, the Logitech K830. It has to be supported. Which they announced a long time ago. <laughs> ages ago. It's ages ago. coming out. Yeah, I mean, I, I had it sitting Kevin. in a box. It was that email Kevin sent yeah. that was like, hey, I demand this. You, you promised right. me. <laughs> right, totally. Um, it's a wireless keyboard with a, an integrated trackpad. Um, if you turn on this feature and you have this keyboard and you press the button to pair it, then suddenly if you set this keyboard down and you're in an application that supports it, which at the moment means the Oculus web browser and some <laughs> minor parts of the operating system, then... Not even Home? I mean... Not even Oculus Home? The parts of Oculus Home where you can type things... If you press oh, that, I if see. you press that button that brings up the keyboard, it will bring this up instead. So yes, Oculus Home, okay. but only in very limited ways. Um, right. But when you when it enables, you can see the keyboard. It renders a representation of the keyboard, and you can pick it up and move it around and set it down. And it doesn't track in like real time, but give it a couple of seconds, and it finds it, and it renders a representation of it. And then what it does is it uses the pass through cameras to make your hands translucent, so you can see the keys through them. And you have these sort of ghost hands that are floating over the keyboard and you can type. <laughs> now, for the extremely minor handful of things that use it, it works beautifully. It's fantastic. It's magical, if slightly creepy, because you got these weird floaty ghost hands. <laughs> um, I desperately TM. want it to work over Link so I can code in Unity using it. Yeah. It does not work over Link. Um, I don't know if it is going so. to work over Link. Uh, I hope it will. That'd be great. It should. It ought to. There's no reason it shouldn't. But <laughs> yeah, at the moment, it doesn't. So who knows? But it's part of their whole uh, virtual office initiative. And I'm excited about that initiative. I, I love where they're aiming long term. But at the moment, most of the stuff you're getting is proof of concept. And this is very much proof of concept. Uh, they also have their Oculus right. desk support where you trace the corners of your desk. I tried it. It was cool for almost a minute. And then I discovered all the limitations of it. Like if you lean back, it cuts in the pass-through cameras, which is completely unacceptable if you're doing anything room scale. So um, I turned it back off. But, you know, they're they're trying these things out. And, and hopefully yeah. they will get better and more seamlessly integrated over time. Now... The headline feature of V28, the thing that people were beating down the doors to the point where they actually released it early, is AirLink, which uh, I I think um, the creator of Virtual Desktop is probably spitting mad about. A little upset about. Yeah, but it is wireless streaming from the desktop to the headset. And they were always so on the fence about doing this because you really have to have a, a fast wireless router that is not crowded. Uh, ideally, you want your PC right. hooked up to it via um, Ethernet, Ethernet so that you're not crowding the inbound with outbound. Now, I've got pretty much the ideal setup. I've got a Wi-Fi router sitting on top of my bookcase 
seven feet from my right arm. I've got my PC hooked up to it via Ethernet. It's a super high-end router, and it works flawlessly for me. I mean, it is almost indistinguishable from a wired link setup, and I love it to pieces. There are some stability issues with it. If it goes to sleep and you're connected over link and you end up with some visual corruption and, and some problems with linking with Unity. So ideally, you don't want to go to sleep if you're using it over the course of a day. You want to try and keep your headset awake, and there's a lot of tricks to do that. For people in the, the small subset that have exactly the right setup, it is like magic. I can go anywhere on my first floor. I can press the virtual desktop button in AirLink. I can fire up any Steam VR or desktop oculus experience and i can have it from anywhere on the first floor of my house flawlessly as if as if i were tethered except i'm not tethered which is the coolest thing ever do do we know what the requirements are like specifics like it's it's a bit ac or it's a bit rate requirement i think you need a hundred megabits per second consistently with no drops for smooth experience now you can push it up to 200 and i have and it's better and it forgets it every time you connect so unless you are going to go and push that up to 200 every single time 100 is what you get um so in theory you don't have to have ac but ac is certainly probably your best choice yeah looks like uh, the recommend for optimal performance oculus recommends have your pc connected to your router via ethernet your headset should be connected to Wi-Fi via the 5 gigahertz band AC yeah. or AX, right. also known as Wi-Fi 5 or 6. And your router should be in the same room as the headset or in line of sight uh, and at least one meter off the ground. Do not use a mesh network. Right. I'm guessing there's some issues between the handoff of mesh network. Probably. And I will so. say that upstairs, uh, there are some rooms where it's just a little bit you get like the occasional frame drop, but it's tolerable. And there's some rooms where it's yeah. not really okay. So, yeah. you know, there's definitely limits. But the idea that I can be, I can walk into my living room or my bedroom or my kitchen and play right. room scale PC class VR wirelessly is stunning. It is an incredible yeah. feature. Uh, and I'm, I'm hyped that they pushed it out, even though they know that maybe 90, 95% of the people out there aren't going to have a setup that can use it really or can't use it well well it's a step in the right direction right one it's it's appeasing the general populace yeah and two it's kind of shoving a stick at virtual desktop because you know yeah oculus so far has like this track record of someone comes out and does something better than them that they should have been doing from the beginning yes and then they like get upset about it and then do it themselves um and i'm loving that like (laughs) shame them into doing things with yeah. better like i'm fine with this but uh it definitely seems to be that that's that's well their, that's that's their modus operandi yeah i mean oculus has always been weirdly conservative i mean when they released the the consumer rift it was yeah. it was a seated experience and their lawyers had strong right, words right. about anyone standing up and then and then vive was yes. like you can move around and they're like actually you can move around right yes Yes. No, we're room scale too. No one was seated. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Such, mm, yeah, such nonsense. It's they they they're very much like, oh, you guys did it better. Crap. Well, I guess we got to do it. Right. We were kind of holding this back, or 
so oh, dang so and so is doing it better than a, like side quest stuff you know ah oh, crap right. they're doing this better oh, yeah well, we better and app lab better come up with something and app lab is <laughs> yeah. phenomenal i love app lab i love airlink yeah these are great great features uh and i mean these yeah. are features that shipped significantly after the hardware shipped so exactly. i am you know every time they push out an update i'm itching for it because it genuinely makes my experience better unless it's buggy which sometimes it is um yeah so v29 just got announced i think today uh it is shipping quote unquote soon it's it's a somewhat more modest update uh but the the big ticket item in it is they're trying to integrate your phone so that your phone notifications can pop up there at the moment it's ios only they they promised android support is coming in the future but you can see who's calling you who's texting you things like that now people probably don't remember but the the original vive actually vive. had yeah. uh smartphone pairing and you could like see your pop-up notifications yep. so this is kind of a well, uh, i think the bluetooth unit was in the yeah in the link box or something yeah so i mean in a sense it's not new but it's new as it's new for the quest and it's new for the Vive Standalone. one didn't work well, so yeah. it's it's one of those things where if if they get this right, it'll be great. Right. Especially with something like the Quest, because the Quest, you know, assuming there it's going to work while you're mobile, yeah. Um, would be really nice because the the whole point is like you can play anywhere, right? Right. So you so if you're waiting in the in the airport or something yeah. like that, you don't want to miss a notification that your flight was changed. Right. And now your gate is across the terminal. Oh crap. You know, I got 30 minutes. I can play some super hot and then, oh crap, my, my flight was changed and now I have five minutes to get across to the terminal. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's they're, getting, being able to get those notifications, you know, are, are going to be big. They're, they're couching it as part of their virtual office initiative. The idea is that you can, yeah. you can be productive in VR. It can be a productivity tool. So being able to access, you know, phone notifications is a, a start. Obviously, I would love it if you could see your phone and interact with your phone, but, you know, notifications mm-hmm. are a start. A thing that got leaked out, uh, we don't know the exact edges of it, but a handful of users were able to, from within App Lab, install support for uh, running native Android applications in a window on the Quest. Now, that opens the whole world up because suddenly, legitimately... I would have a screen share, though. That would be better. But in the you know in the short term, just being able to bring meantime. up apps and and actually do work mm-hmm. in those apps as if you were on your phone, yeah. even though you're not on your phone, uh, would be kind of amazing, um, and would be a legitimate move towards this is a a general purpose productivity device, not um, you know right. a, a niche thing. And I mean, even some games. I mean, you know, you want to play your latest tower defense thing in a window on there and then just bounce back and forth between that and doing other things uh, maybe you can do that and there's no technical reason you can't other than maybe like multi-touch if you if you want to be able to like touch more than two points then that becomes a little technically challenging but um i really want to see the ability to use the touch controllers as a gamepad that'd be cool yeah really nice and i mean there's there's no reason you can't and there's no reason you can't be playing your phone games at you know eight feet high <laughs> so it, you know um, it would be so cool pretty cool if you had native android app support and you were a vtuber streamer and you used yeah. your headset to do head tracking 
for your avatar and streamed while you were in the VR headset and had your chat up. You had like a giant chat window and you had the game and all your stuff from just all from inside VR. You have a total workspace for streaming. Right. Yeah. Or, I mean, just more like uh sort of I'm trying to think of where I saw something like this. Maybe it's uh maybe it was job simulator had something like this where you could just like spawn a camera and that camera is what is like the video out so you just spawn a camera and like sort of okay pin it here yeah you know in 3d space around me and then that way you know as Mm -hmm. i'm moving about in the space the camera just sort of follows you third person and then you can you know turn to the camera and be like do you see that right (laughs) you know like that would be a really cool iteration of of especially because like let's be honest let's plays and youtubers and all these other kinds it's not going away so Let's get some new cool like tools yeah. for that content because right. you know, watching them in a window in the bottom left corner while we watch a mirrored screen is, is getting old right. at this point. And I mean they they seem to be aware of that and they're pushing in that direction. Yeah. They're they're saying I mean they've talked about um mixed reality capture from smartphones and in this, you know, V twenty nine supposedly has some support for that. I don't know a lot about that. Does anyone know the details on well, that? Well, you you haven't yet said William's favorite part about the new update, and that most of these features are iOS only. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, the I, I've never said a bad word about Apple. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the the feature is called Live Overlay, and so what what Slash Gear is saying is talking about it, saying it's casting a recording feature that lets you use your phone's camera to essentially superimpose video of yourself over whatever you're viewing with your headset. Is this right. is this using the 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 latest generation Insight, um depth cameras or what uh, is it doing to oh, in order like, to cut people out from the Are background? you are you going to need an iPhone Pro Pro Max 12 uh, with live or something? I might. <laughs> it's probably doing something like slam. Is it is it slam or is it back in Is it requiring the well, they were, because, I mean, I know the latest iPhones have depth cameras on them. Right. But, you know, think back to Oculus Connect 6, 5. Which one was it they were they showing were, off? Yeah, the, uh, they were. Arena. They were using iPads. You know, just... They were, but they weren't doing iPads. mixed reality. They were just using it as a camera in game. So. Well, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yes. Yeah, I guess they were just using yeah. it as a camera. No, it was so sweet. It was really tracking. cool. They could, like, walk around in, in the arena and film like they had a camera. But... But they weren't overlaying yeah. mixed reality True. into it. It could be the same thing. It could be just huh? the same could be. tech that's, that's really all it is. Just a generation of their insight and, tracking. Yeah, and just instead of curious. using curious iPads, you're using your own iPhone. And then yeah. like one one more like super practical office type thing is they've said that uh, 29 will have um, a file browser. So you can actually... Oh you know, my God. Yeah, I know. Shocking. You can actually see what's on the disk and manage it and more to the point if you go to like websites you can download things and upload things uh which is starting to sound like an actual computer computer you, that can, you can finally you know. install cody <laughs> <laughs> oh man holy crap you you might be able to because native android support <laughs> native android support, file you manager might be able to. well so to, to allow me, me to dream. File browser. On your... yeah yeah i no i mean honestly like watching Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever on on the Quest is okay. The moment I can do it with friends, 
I'm in. I am so incredibly in. And it blows my mind that they are not chasing this actively. Because if I could sit and watch Netflix watch with like three or four people who also have to have Netflix accounts, that's fine. Yeah. Um, Oh my gosh, I would do or that Plex. so much. Plex would be amazing, but I know there's well, rights Plex issues. Plex has some stuff like that already, like a watch together feature, yeah. I think. Can we just airlink big screen and just do it anyway? I, I have watched Friends with movies in big screen uh and it works pretty well but it is a moderate hassle to set up um yeah i, I want seamlessly to be able to drop into netflix and, and yeah. say invite william and kevin and josh and right. you guys pop in and we watch mst3k together you know yes <laughs> so i mean i would do that i would do that embarrassing amounts probably also come on guys especially right now when we're all honestly all these feature implementations and not one bit of effort to get a alcoholic beverage delivery button built in (laughs) there's your million dollar idea josh implement that and retire (laughs) on it I just if, need to uh, show up. Twenty minutes from now, like I could have a, a chilled microbrew handed to me without me exiting VR. All right, like, you got to give it like six more months till we get this Amazon drone thing. There going. you yeah. go. Like, Domino's already has the the little uh, the the driverless uh, yeah, pizza the deliveries cars. they're working on right now. So well, soon enough, yeah, you can just drone will just fly. If, it if right they're gonna hand it direct, and... if they're gonna drop it directly in my hand, I have to have like a little garage door opener for the yes. drone that like yeah. opens up my front yeah. door a little bit and lets the drone fly through. Amazon has that. They've got that. They've got a garage. Yeah, door they do. They do kit thing for like package deliveries our future is going to be so weird (laughs) i'm carving a hole in my office wall so i don't have to leave the vr room just reach and grab my scotch how about it all right well anybody you got anything else that uh i mean i know there's a ton more but um is there anything that like somebody absolutely has to touch on briefly before we go No. no all right all right lots of cool stuff i'm excited can't wait to try it all, as always. And and maybe the world's opening up back up a little bit. So maybe we'll all get together and right. try it together soon. So and hey, hey 30 good. episodes. We did pretty I good. I know, 30. Yeah, this was this 30. Is episode 30. That's a landmark. Right on. All right, y'all. All right, take care. Uh, have fun. Do cool things in VR and then tell us about them. Definitely. All right. Everybody. Good night. See you, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Virtually Relevant. If you liked it, please consider rating and reviewing us on your favorite podcast app. Helps bring us up in the charts and makes us easier to find. If you'd like to support Houston VR and this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash Houston VR. Until next time, thanks for listening.